Welcome to Highway Christian Community Sermon Download. Our aim is to reveal from Scripture just how good God really is. Find more of our sermons and other links as well as contact details at our website www.highway.org.za That's H-I-G-H-W-A-Y dot org dot Z-A May this sermon bless you. Enjoy. Can we just lift our hands as we're standing where we are? Just say after me. Heavenly Father, would you open my eyes to see how wonderful you are, how great you are, how awesome you are. And give me ears to hear. By revelation, that my faith may grow. And that your people, that's me, Lord, will be ready in the day of battle. Because we serve a mighty God. He, He is our banner who goes ahead of us in battle. He fights our battle for us. He is Jireh who provides. He is the Lord Sovereign. So Lord, this morning, as we go to your word, I pray that you would cause our hearts to be receptive and to grow in this knowledge of your greatness. And all God's people agree by saying, Amen. 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 I just caught uh, a glimpse out the corner of my eye. Mrs. Gray, uh, I, did, I haven't seen you since your husband's memorial, Thomas, who passed away. We did give condolences, but just once again to extend those to you. God bless you. Right. In keeping with... Uh, the year of equipping for discipleship. Since discipleship is our primary mission, our primary calling to follow Jesus, fellowship with one another and fish for men and then make disciples. We are in a year of establishing ourselves in the core fundamental truths of what has been passed on to reliable men that needs to be passed on to others who can teach others. So for the month of February, we have been zoned and focused in on the topic of what the Bible teaches about God. Starting in February and then March, we move into what the Bible teaches about the grace of our Lord Jesus and then April the Bible teaches about the Holy Spirit. And as you know, Monday nights, we do the teaching time, and then that gets fed through to the life group. So if you don't make the Monday night, 
you can attend a life group. And if you're not in a life group, you're welcome here. We're having a good time on Monday nights. I'm enjoying our Monday nights together. And um, I feel like it's going to be a slow drip process, this. Someone may ask, well, why don't we just get on with the job? Well, sometimes things have got to be caught before they can be taught. And that's a process that take, takes commitment towards. And this month we've been looking at what you could, the, the fancy theological word is theology. It's the doctrine of God. And we've looked at the attributes of God. We've looked at how God revealed himself to certain people through scripture. And we've looked at the names of God, how God progressively through scripture, starting in Genesis 1-1, uh, speaks of himself as Elohim. It's a generic word uh, that is kind of applicable to God of, of any religion or small capital G. Only the context decides whether it's referring to the God, uh, the one and only God. But from Genesis 1, we saw last week five different names of how God begins to progressively reveal his character, not just as a distant, um, abstract concept, but very real and personal. And as I mentioned last week, there are about 30 to 40 different names in Scripture um, that God is referred to as, that, that he refers to himself as in order to reveal his character. We've put those up on our website, along with the other notes from Monday night, so if you go to www.highway.org.za, there's a tab there called Discipleship. You can click on there. The notes will be there. Then there's a link to the audio as well. But we really would encourage you to come to the Monday nights because something does get caught uh, when you're together uh, learning in that situation. But the goal of establishing in these truths is not just to end up with a head full of knowledge, but how do we then work these things out as we share them with the world? who desperately need to have an exalted view of God. The world thinks very little of God. And that's why for most agnostics and atheists, they say they don't believe in God. I agree with them. I don't believe in the God that they don't believe in. Because that's not the true God of the Bible. And we have to get an exalted view. You, my friend, need to get an exalted view of God. I need to get an exalted view of God. However you see God right now needs to increase. It needs to expand. And um, there, these ten names that I've pulled out, five we taught last week, five I want to share this morning and then make some application. So let's get straight into it. People who God revealed his, himself to through his name. The first one was Abraham. We're going to look at this morning. We looked at a few last week. We're going to start again going through some names. He reveals himself to Abraham. And he reveals himself to Abraham as El Shaddai, which is God Almighty. El being an abbreviation of Elohim. Um, Shaddai Almighty. Now it's interesting that God reveals himself to Abraham as El Shaddai at the time he makes a covenant with Abraham that Abraham would be a father of all nations. And that 
that this covenant was the covenant that ultimately inaugurated the coming of the Messiah to deal with the sin issue that came in through the fall of Adam. And it was this covenant that was going to preserve a people through the ritualistic covenant, uh, the, the sacrifices through the priesthood and the nation of Israel, which would be the, the, the womb through which the gospel would be uh, grown until Messiah was revealed to the world. God had to reveal himself to Abraham as El Shaddai. Because if Abraham had told his friends what God had promised him, they would have surely thought he was insane. Come on. Imagine you go to your family and friends and say, oh, by the way, God appeared to me last night and said, um, I'm going to have nations come through me that can ultimately bring salvation to the whole world. And you are 99 years old and you don't have a child yet. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. It's El Shaddai. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your number. And he goes on and makes those promises. The second name we're going to look at this morning was to Moses. And here it's Yahweh, Rafeka, which means the Lord is healer. Now, when Abraham passed the covenant onto Isaac to Jacob, who passed it on to Joseph and the patriarchs. They ended up in Egypt, eventually became slaves. God raises up Moses. He delivers the people out of Egypt with great joy and sounds of singing and jubilee. But the first crisis they come across, they begin grumbling. They want to go back to Egypt. And people were getting sick. Some were dying. There was a plague of snakes. People got bit. And Moses cries out to the Lord. And it says in Exodus 15, There the Lord made a decree, covenant, and a law for them. And there he tested them. He said, If you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay careful attention to his commands and keep all of his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. So there was healing promised and attached to that promise of healing, because everyone likes to know what the policy is going to pay out, but not everyone likes the conditions attached to the policy. There were certain ceremonial and certain health laws that God gave them for their own protection to keep them from the diseases, and, and he lists those throughout chapters in Leviticus and Exodus. That's not the purpose of this teaching. The purpose of this teaching is just to show another name. So this God, this, this Elohim, who showed himself as Jehovah, or Yahweh, Yahweh being a Hebrew verb for I am, I just am, which is a present, eternal, self-sustaining God that the heathen had no concept of said, I am your healer. And interesting, when this plague of snakes was let loose amongst the people of Israel, they cried out to the Lord, 
He gave instructions to Moses to, to, to have an image of a snake made, put on a pole. And when people look at it, and you can go and read this in Exodus uh, for yourself, you'll see that as people looked, it was like a point of contact. It was a um, looking away from the situation and looking to something, and almost like a prophetic act of obedience. That is interesting that Jesus refers to this very same incident in John chapter 3 and verse 12, where he says, I've spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then shall you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. That everyone who believes in him, say believes in him, may have eternal life. So looking to him is believing in him. It's looking, but it's not just the looking, it's the believing. And straight after that, our favorite scripture, for God so loved the world. So very interesting that God reveals himself. The next person, now we come through, Moses brings the people to the border of the promised land. Uh, Joshua takes them in. They fight their battles. They eventually divide the land up amongst the 12 tribes. And then they didn't have a king for a number of years because God was their king, but they had judges. And one of these judges was Gideon. And uh, God reveals himself to Gideon as uh, Yahweh Shalom, the God of peace. And Hebrew scholars have uh, taught us that the very word shalom doesn't just mean like a kind of a tranquil, like, hey, how's it chilled out? But the word shalom itself means completeness, wholeness, a state where nothing is broken or missing. And God reveals himself to a very unlikely fellow because Israel at this stage is in a bit of rebellion. They keep on wanting to serve the heathen gods around them. They get plundered time and time again until, you know, there's only so many times you can walk into the same wall that you know the wall's not going away. You know, it's a form of insanity to keep doing the same thing over and over again and expect a different result. You walk into that same wall enough times, so they stop and they cry out to God and God sends them a prophet who then says, he, he, see, he reminds them, you can, I'm not going to go through the whole, it's the whole two chapters here, but the angel remark, says God's going to send a prophet, and the prophet comes and says, remember, God delivered you out of Egypt. That was the first thing, was for them to remember that God, what God had done in the past. And that's quite a good thing. So we read, there, when, the, the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, that was the enemy. He sent them a prophet who said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I snatched you from the power of Egypt and from the hand of the oppressor. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am your Lord. Okay, sorry, that wasn't there. Okay. Back to verse 12. When the angel of the Lord had appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But sir, Gideon replied, If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all the wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hands of Midian. The Lord turned to him. 
Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not, am I not sending you? But Lord Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. And the Lord answered, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites together. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, this was a pre-incarnated state of the Son of God, if you're familiar with theological terms, an epiphany, if you like, of, of uh, uh, let me not get distracted, yeah? He exclaimed, Sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face, but the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord then, called it, The Lord is peace. Yahweh Shalom. To this day, it stands in Ophrah of the Abyssalites. So here's a man, Gideon, who feels not only is his tribe the smallest of all the 12 tribes, but his clan is the smallest of clans. His family is the smallest of all those families. And then in that family, his brothers got bursaries, brothers got scholarships, six straight A's, and he was just like not even mentioned. Hiding away in fear in a wine press. And God says, I'm going to use you to deliver this people. I would say he had some fear and trepidation. God said, Shalom over his life. Some of us need to hear that word over our life. When we feel we're the least, when we feel we're disqualified, when we feel, who am I to make a difference? The fourth one in Jeremiah, to the prophet, this is now later, Israel has fallen into captivity after the judges, after King Saul, after King David's time. Um, they're in rebellion in rebellion against God. The southern tribes are captured by the Assyrians, the north by Babylon. And Jeremiah, um, during this time, prophesies. And he reveals Yahweh Tsekwenu. How you pronounce that? I'm not 100% sure, but it looks something like Tsekwenu, the Lord our righteousness. You see, sin is a big deal. Sin is a real problem. It's what's kept Israel in captivity, kept them down, kept them destroyed. Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. Sin is destructive. Whatever sin you get caught in, we don't break God's commandments, actually. It's God's commandments that break us. He put them there to protect us. He said, don't walk near the edge of the cliff. Not because he was trying to be spiteful. But he knew the end consequence and what it would look like. And he protects us. Whatever, whenever we get caught in any kind of sin, whether it's in the mind, whether it's in relationships, whether it's in, in corruption, whether it's whatever it is, whatever is contrary to what we know in good conscience according to the word of God, what, what our new nature should know, sin is a destructive force. And in the midst of that, God reveals himself as their righteousness. Because the priesthood had failed Israel. 
they'd fallen into corruption. The, the leaders, the kings, the rulers had all deserted them, got into total uh, anarchy and, and, the, and gone into captivity. And Jeremiah comes and says, hang on, Israel, there's still hope because the Lord is righteousness. And this well-known scripture in Jeremiah 23, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up to David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called, the Lord our righteousness. And then we know in the New Testament, this is carried through further. Romans says, But now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. And this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Him as a sacrifice of atonement. Through faith in his blood, he did this to demonstrate his justice. Because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus Christ. God revealed himself as the God who is righteousness. A righteousness that would bring us into a state of not being equal to God, but to be in equal communion with God. To be invited into intimate communion with the Trinity. To walk without fear and condemnation and guilt. A righteousness that when we look back in heaven, we'll know it had nothing to do with what we could do or couldn't do, but what God gave us. Sin was destructive. But God said, I will be your righteousness. And that righteousness was shown in the atonement and brought about at the cross where Jesus died. Not far away from where Abraham was prepared to offer his son when God revealed himself as Jehovah Jireh, the one who provided a ram. Over the hill was this covenant about to be fulfilled. God, our righteousness. The last one is Ezekiel. Ezekiel also was during the time of the Babylonian captivity before Israel went back into the promised land and the land would be divided up under King Nebuchadnezzar's watch and the rulership of Nehemiah and Ezra. It was a fascinating part of history if you go and read through those books in your Old Testament. I hope some of you still read some of the Old Testament. Amen. I know it's kind of outdated now. No, beautiful pictures of the gospel of salvation. To have that history embedded in us against which grace and the new covenant shines brightly. But as under Nebuchadnezzar, the, 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 the tribes went and resettled. Ezra was the prophet and he prophesied where Dan would go, where Gilead would go, where uh, Judah would go. And in amongst all of his speaking and allotting of, prop, of the land, he speaks about Jerusalem. But he, he leaves that to the last. Jerusalem was a very sacred and holy place in the land that God had promised to Israel. And this is 
to Ezekiel, God reveals this name, Yahweh Shammah. The Lord is there. And Ezekiel 48, when referring to, to Jerusalem, God says, and the name of the city from that time on will be, the Lord is there. Jehovah Shammah. And this Jerusalem was only a picture of the true Jerusalem. Natural geographic Jerusalem, as wonderful as that is, and I've never been there personally, but I believe when you go there, it's like, man, you just feel it's such as there's something about being in that place. That is only the shadow of the reality. We don't worship the shadow, we worship the reality. Amen? You walk past a big signboard and the sun's behind it, and it's casting a shadow. You don't stand and stare at the shadow, you look at the sign. The reality is the new is what that Jerusalem is referring to. And in Revelations, we get to see what that Jerusalem is. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. That is the Jerusalem that God says, I am there. Which tells us that even though God says about a future state of Jerusalem, I'm there. That future state, that Jerusalem that comes out of the sky in Revelations 21 into the new earth is actually the church that's built upon the foundation of the apostles and all believers living stones. The new Jerusalem, when you go and read in Revelations 21 and 22, is the church of Jesus Christ. It's his body. It's referred there as the bride of, of the firstborn. It's the believers of all time and all ages who've, who've been engrafted into the body of Jesus Christ through faith in what he did, in receiving his righteousness and the new nature that comes by the Holy Spirit. It's in that state that he says, I am there. He's already here. But he's also going to be eternally in our dwelling forever in heaven. So those are just very quickly, over the last two weeks, ten names of God that reveal more about who he is. But here's something that I see in common. I see in common in all these instances where God has to reveal himself in a different way, I see that there was a need that they had. A need for a ram to be provided in the thicket. Need for deliverance. Need for, deliver, for, for healing. A need for provision. And it started making me think that God 
reveals himself to us in a time of need. And I had to backtrack a little bit on what I've often said. You know, God's not attracted to needs. He's only attracted to faith. Coming from a good faith preacher. Hallelujah. Amen. And, and, and in a sense, it's true. God is attracted to faith. But, but, but they're, not, they're inseparable. Because faith happens where there's need. We're not just talking about need that's an empty pit, a bottomless pit. But, but when people are hungry for God's deliverance, when people get hungry for God's preservation in their land, when people get thirsty for rain from heaven, for when people have got deep challenges and trials, when they're at a place where they are frustrated and, and, and feel empty, when, when we feel like we've made terrible mistakes, Here's the thing. God is attracted to whatever need, emptiness, we're going through in our life. And He wants to reveal Himself as the God who will provide. He wants to reveal to those who are going through doubts and anxiety, God, why did this happen? God, why did that happen? He wants to come and reveal Himself to you as the God who is there. God wants to come to us at a time when we look around and in the natural, it looks like it's impossible. This mistake I've made, it's the end. Let me tell you, my friend, you make a mistake. You're not the mistake. When you make a mistake, it doesn't define you and make you the mistake. You're just the person who made the mistake. But let me tell you this, that God is even attracted to our mistakes. And God will even take our mistakes and try to hide from Him or run from Him and He'll show Himself as Yahweh Shalom, the God of peace in our life. Whatever need you're feeling in your life, let me tell you, that becomes a target, a bullseye for God to show up and reveal Himself to you. You know what the problem with us is? We think we only have to come to God when we're feeling well. When we're feeling full of faith. When we've got our life back to, you know, above par. Then we're acceptable. No, God's not... A motor car is not attracted to a garage when the petrol gauge is on full. It's when the petrol gauge is on empty that it's attracted to the garage. There's something about when you feeling that emptiness right there in that situation that you are setting yourself up as a target for God's presence. When blind Bartimaeus cried out on the side of the road and he said, Lord, heal me. Everyone around him said, stop embarrassing us. Be quiet. You can imagine his kids. Daddy, stop it now. You're drawing attention to us. And he cried the louder. And they tried to keep him quiet, but he cried the louder. You know why? He got desperate. He got hungry. He knew that Jesus was the solution. Even in his situation, he knew and he kept crying. And the petrol station is for those who are driving on an empty vehicle. The skills of a mechanic are not drawn to what's fixed in the car. The skills of a mechanic are drawn to what's broken in the car. 
And as he cried out, Lord, heal, help me. This is the problem. You think, I need to, you know, be full and my cup's overflowing, you know, so, you know, what, I don't need to be thirsty for God anymore. I don't have to be hungry for God anymore. No, well, of course we want our cup to overflow. But when your cup's overflowing, get a bigger cup and get thirsty again and get hungry because there's always more to press in for. There's always more to go after. Never get to a place of self-contentment, self-satisfied, smug, I'm okay, Jack. Like the Laodicean church in Revelations, Jesus rebukes them for being lukewarm. Why does he rebuke them? Because they said, we are rich and we are prospering. And we have need of nothing. See, I don't believe they were lukewarm because they were rich. Because I see right through the Bible, God making people rich. And God promising riches in cases. I don't believe God, they were lukewarm because they were prospering. I see God wanting His people to prosper and to be in good health as their soul prospers. They were lukewarm when they said, and we need nothing. When our lives get to a point, even in the favor of God, when we've built houses and established ourselves and grown vineyards and then get to a place where we say we have no need of God anymore, we can take care of ourselves. We've got enough policies for that and insurance for that and homes for that and income for that and we get to a point where we don't need God anymore. We can just live self-contented, self-satisfied lives just in our smug self-contentment That's when we get lukewarm. And Jesus wants to spit us out, not in anger, but he rather spit out something lukewarm so that it gets cold. Because if it doesn't get cold, it won't know its true condition and it can't get hot again. Jesus loves you too much to leave you lukewarm. He rather spit you out to get you cold, to use an illustration. Their failing was, not that they were rich, but they got to that smug, Self-contented, I don't need anything. Hey, God's out there. I'll do my little bit on Sunday and come and shake a hand, you know, and give God a little courtesy golf clap. But that, don't expect any more from me. That leads to lukewarmness. But when we stay in a place of need, we begin to have God reveal himself as the almighty Jehovah Shaddai. He reveals himself as our provider. He reveals himself as our peace. He reveals himself as our righteousness. He reveals himself as the God who is there. If you're not feeling God's presence in your life right now, you're a sure target. If only you'll come and say, God, I'm empty. I just want to be real. I want to, I want to be vulnerable. I want to be transparent with you, God. I can't put up the facade. I can't play Christianese anymore. I need to expose my weakness. Jesus says to the man with the withered arm, stretch out your hand. Now can you imagine? He's got a withered arm, okay? Jesus says, stretch out your arm. Because he doesn't want people to see his weakness. No. He lets people see his weakness. Confess your faults to one another that you may be healed. 
He stretches out his withered arm. Jesus says, that's where my power can go. My power doesn't need there. My power is needed here. Where's your area of weakness right now? The withered part of your life. The part that's unpresentable. The part that's not attractive. It's that part that God says, let me show myself to you. What do you need God to reveal himself to you right now? There's 40 names in Scripture that He revealed Himself to people. I believe there's millions more. I don't believe we just limited to those. Those are just the foretaste, the foreshadow of how God can reveal Himself to you. But if there's no need, if there's no hunger, if there's no thirst, if there's no emptiness, if there's no exposing, if there's no genuineness with God, and we come with a smug, I'm okay attitude, Let's stand together. I'll never forget my daughter was three years old and we were at a swimming pool, a public swimming pool and we were going on our way home, took their life, their their armbands off and we're packing the bags. As we were going to the, towards the car, a group came past and said, please can we take photographs? So we put our stuff down, turned, took photographs, gave their camera back, picked up. My daughter was gone. And we went cold and looked around. And just at that moment, over the edge of the swimming pool room, came these little fingers. And we ran over, dived in, jumped in, pulled her out. She thought we were still partying and decided to go for a swim. And only God knows how she got saved. We believed it was God. And we pulled her out and Janet said to her, we know surely an angel saved you today. And she said, no, I saved myself. (laughs) I tell you what, only in eternity we'll look back and actually see that it wasn't we who saved ourselves. We got some unanswered issues we all walk with and we struggle and there's tensions. But that's only because we don't see the million to one ratio of when things didn't go wrong. What is the need in your life right now? What is that glaring mistake, that weakness? Don't you want to just lift up your hands? Father God, make my life a target for you to be, for me to have an exalted view of who you are. Help me move from a a miniature size God to the God who really is. Change my mind. Renew my thinking. 
Almighty God, today we stand and say, Be exalted. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. We run into your tower today, Lord. When you get into a tower, my friend, you find protection but you also climb a stairway that puts you into a new perspective of what's going on around you. When you are in a tower, your enemy can't get you as easily because you are protected, but you can see him coming from much further. And not only 180 degrees, but 360 degrees, a tower exposes the enemy around you. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. Church, we are running to His name today. We're saying, Lord, it's in Your name we put our trust. It's in Your name we put our confidence. If you've never given your life to Jesus, if you've never said yes to Him being your Lord, today, say yes, I'm putting my faith in Jesus Christ. I'm going to turn my life over to Him to be my Lord and my Savior. Right now, if that's you and you want to give your life to Jesus, just where you're standing, say, Lord, here am I. Take me. I receive your free gift in Jesus' name. Amen.